Welcome back to another episode of On the Bench with Beaks. I am your host, Cody Beekman, and we are so stoked to be here today. Uh, with me, as always, is Bryce McMillan. How's it going, everybody? Daniel Beattie. Hello, everybody. And Ross Mormeyer. Hey, what's up, guys? Today, we've got an incredible tr- treat for you all. We have Doug the Hammer Smith with us today. How's it going, Doug? Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm doing well, boys, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. The pleasure's all ours. Um, well, yeah, we're going to get in and talk, uh, talk to you about your career and everything, but we're going to start it off with this uh, player spotlight, and uh, Ross has the player spotlight this week, so Ross, take it away. Well, um, I'm going to go out on a limb. We'll go from bad to good this episode. So um, my player spotlight this week is Mitch Marner. I mean, the kid has been always playing really well for the Leafs and has always impressed me. But just here this year, so far, he has a, what is it? It's tied for plus minus with Justin Falk. And that is a 17 rating which that's just amazing right now with the short season. And then he's got 30 points, which he's tied with Leon Dreisaitl for second in overall points. So that's like nine goals and 21 assists so far this whole entire season. So, um, I mean, he, I always like his play. He finds the soft spots in front of the net, knows how to find guys to get that biscuit in the basket. And, um, I mean, you can't, bucket the lines that they have either so i mean you're playing with austin matthews and all those guys so see the statistic that really surprises me about mitch marner is the plus minus right now i mean uh you know he's known to be a more offensive kind of guy and it just kind of shows that he's really maturing into not only an offensive game but a defensive game as well so that's i mean that's huge development for a young guy like marner and i mean uh when when you look at past like Toronto Maple Leafs teams, it's uh, you know, defense really wasn't their number one, uh, you know, uh, priority. If, if, oh, if no. I could say that. So it's, it's great to see a young kid like that really uh, stepping up and um, expanding his game, not just on one side of the puck. Oh yeah. Cause he was just known as like, just getting in the soft spots and putting the puck in the net. And now he's just now looking for the other guy and he's able to get back as well as quick and be on the puck and get on that stick and poke check it away and make those big plays. So I, you're definitely right. He has matured a lot over this last season. So. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, Doug, we're going to throw it your way. Uh, Anybody uh, in the league right now that's looking kind of hot or to you right now, or uh, what's your take on uh, you got a player spotlight that you can uh, maybe throw out there? I hate to rain in your parade. I mean, I was waiting to hear some penalty minutes from somebody or some majors, you know, a couple of fights. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm, a Boston, I'm a Boston boy. And, uh, you know, my Bruins, they're doing pretty good. You know, they're uh, shuffling some lines around. But, I mean, guys like Poster and Bergeron and Marchant, I mean, these guys are doing well. And they're um, – I think they might be in first place right now. They got a big game tonight. Yeah. They're doing that Bridgestone outdoor arena game tonight, Sunday night. So, um, you know, I think the Bruins are doing well in my neck of the woods anyway. I'm a bit of a, a Boston Bruins guy too. Let's talk about Nick Ritchie. I mean, Nick Ritchie's kind of come in and really actually uh, provided a lot of like – a bit of a bag of knuckles for, for this Bruins team. Uh, what's, your, what's your take on Nick Ritchie right now? You know, he's definitely a big body, and I'm certainly not going to uh, go the opposite way, so to speak. But personally, I wish he could play a little bit bigger. Like I said, he can certainly play the body a little bit more. I don't mean drop the gloves and beat people up, but I just think if he really brought more of a physical role and, um, you know, maybe just cut in the corners a little bit harder and made those defensemen work a little extra knowing that they could, you know, feel his big, heavy body on them, um, you know, make them pay the price. And uh, I think that he would be a lot more valuable. And I think that he would be a bigger asset to the team. 
But I mean, so far we're early on in the season. He hasn't disappointed. Oh yeah, I mean uh, that's what that's the kind of game he played in Anaheim uh, before coming to Boston. So, I oh mean, yeah, uh, you know, you, you really do got to kind of play that role when that's exactly what you were uh, acquired for. Correct. Great player spotlight. So let's move on to you, Doug. Um, so. Uh, we were, you know, kind of reading up on you, and you really actually started out as a boxer, and uh, your buddy Adam actually kind of convinced you to tie on the skates. I mean, how did how did that all come about? Well, you're right. I mean, as a kid growing up, I was an amateur boxer, and, and I fought in all my local tournaments in the area, you know, the New England Golden Gloves and, and things like that. And uh, and it was my friend Adam. He was a, a neighborhood friend of mine, one of my best friends, and and he had played hockey, and in fact, all my friends had played hockey, except me. Uh, for whatever reason, I just never picked up the sport. And, you know, long story short, Adam always felt like my boxing background back in now, we're talking about like the 1980s, you know, when fighting was huge, especially in the minor leagues. And Adam always yeah. felt, you know, if we teach Doug how to skate, if we could teach him how to keep his balance, maybe with his fighting background, because he's already got that already pretty much accomplished, Maybe he can make it in minor league hockey. And, of course, it was a stupid, ridiculous dream. But, you know, we worked on it. And we worked on it really hard for a couple of years. And and just through luck and, um, you know, getting to meet some of the right people in the hockey world to open up a couple of doors. And then from there, it was kind of sink or swim. So I, I got some tryouts and I got into a couple of leagues where I was able to kind of you know, show my fighting ability. And, and again, you got to remember, I'm not trying out anywhere to be a hockey player. There's already 14, 15 guys on the team to do that job, score goals and so on. But I'm trying to make the team as their protector and their enforcer. And so, um, again, back in those days, you were allowed, you were afforded a position on a team if you had the willingness to drop the gloves and protect your teammates. And so that's how it all evolved. What was, like, the transition to ice like for you? I mean, let's be honest here. You're standing in a ring most of the time, and then now you're on these little, you know, yeah. uh, knives. Can you t- tell us about, like, you know, just, like, getting uh, getting the other parts of the game down, not just the fighting, like, uh, kind of, like, run us through that? Well, again, like you said, it was uh, it was a tough process for me because at that time I was basically in the gym as a weightlifter and a boxer, and learning your balance was the hardest thing for me. And I was basically six foot two, 250 pounds. So it, it wasn't really an easy task for me to learn my balance. But credit to Adam, we weren't out there skating with the puck and shooting on the net and, and actually playing hockey. This whole thing was teaching me balancing type of drills, doing drills that little kids would do in skate camps and and. and and, you know, things like that when you go for a lesson, stops and starts and crossovers and all the basics is what I was doing at 20 years old to learn my balance. So that was the hottest part. No doubt about that. Oh, I could, I could imagine. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Ross, uh, I know you're, you're clamoring for some action here, so <laughs> take it away, bud. Well, and I have to ask this because I know one of my coworkers, he used to be a Golden Glove boxer, too. Did you also keep your, like, daily regimen on top of that with going to the gym? Because I know he does that with still going to work and everything still. So Yeah, I, uh, I did it while I was training for hockey because I knew it was part of the resume I had to present to a team. And I still do it today. I'm 56 years old, and I still work out. I don't get in the ring and spar, but I certainly work out at the gym just to stay in shape because it's just a love that I have. It's awesome, you, Bryce. Take it away, my friend. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so, and you, and speaking of you know keeping up with you know everything today, I'm just curious on, on who who you like as enforcers of NHL today. Do you still think the NHL really has enforcers? I feel like it's kind of gotten away. Fighting's kind of gone away from the game a little bit. So, how do you feel about the enforcer position nowadays? And maybe talk about who your favorite enforcers were or are. Well, I agree with you. I think it's gotten away from the game. But, you know, things go around in circles in in life. And I have a feeling somehow they may come back where just 
in a little bit of a, in a role model, so to speak, of a guy who can handle himself to protect his team. We're not going to have outright goons from like the 70s where they were just out there to fight. Like, say, mate, Doug Smith. I was just there to fight. I couldn't even play hockey. I sucked. But, you know, I was an insurance policy on a bench in case someone acted up. I can see a couple of teams today that have tough guys, right? You got like Las Vegas has Ryan Reeves and there's Matt Martin, there's Tom Wilson, there's Kevin Miller for the Bruins. You know, every team or almost every team has at least one guy who can step up and answer the bell. But there's a lot of teams that don't have anybody. And I think eventually they're going to have to come around to finding at least one guy who can go against these other guys. Um, the NHL obviously has done a, a really good job of trying to extinguish fighting and get rid of it. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to be completely taken away from the game as far as with a penalty or suspensions, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Do you think the NHL would kind of lose a lot of fan base if uh, fighting was officially extinguished? You know what? I, I think, honestly, if the game can be played the way it is, which is fast and physical with a dust-up every once in a while, I, I think you'll keep a decent fan base. Believe me, there's a lot of fans that are one-dimensional like myself that just love seeing the fights and are very disappointed with today's NHL. But I think a lot of people also can say to themselves, if they truly love hockey, what are your emotions when you watch playoff hockey? Because there's never any fighting there. And it's really odd working up and down the ice type of competition in the playoffs where every shift means something. So it's kind of proof right there that you can have an, an entertaining game without fighting because the playoffs do it every year. Very good point. That's I, I, yeah. I couldn't have said it better, actually. You see it once in a blue moon, but it's usually just hard right. physical play from back in, from right. goal to goal. Right. And if you see a fight in the playoffs, it's only because, you know, the same two teams have played each other for five or seven games and they're just sick of each other. And, right. you know, it just finally blows up. But, uh, oh, yeah. but it's even still at that point, it's a hesitation because the one guy who really wants to kick someone else's ass is hesitating to drop his gloves because he might put his team into that extra penalty. Yeah, uh, the instigator rule for sure, yeah. Daniel, I think you got something uh, cooking up as well. Yeah, that was a perfect segue, actually, because I know you have some history in um, coaching the enforcer role within a a team and what that means and uh, what it can bring to a team. And as the enforcer role has, I don't want to say – ever going to be extinguished it'll just change and evolve and maybe it will come full circle like you're saying i i think that's totally plausible as well i want to zero in on that last comment about um how you have to show restrain so that you don't put your team down an extra guy and i'm thinking that part of the insta or part of the enforcer role for me has always been the person that just gets under your skin that can cause so much irritation and you kind of want to engage with that person. So it's kind of a two-parter. The first is during your time coaching the more brass tacks part of it, were you already back then also teaching people how to kind of like get under their skin and bother them and irritate them between whistles? And two, do you see that as the new enforcer role today or a big part of what it's becoming. Well, when I was a uh, an employee, I worked for the Boston Bruins. In fact, I worked for almost six other NHL teams where I specifically went on the ice. And I worked with players, teaching them how to defend themselves. And I wasn't really trying to develop them into being, you know, real fighters, so to speak. It was just the European players, the college kids who don't fight a lot came from and just teach them how to defend themselves. And, and as time went, I really started to gravitate towards the actual fighters on a team and really tried to help them get better conditioned and so on. Um, my job really wasn't trying to teach someone how to get under the other opposing player's skin and irritate them and, you know, and piss them off. It, my role was very one-dimensional. It was just about fighting and how to go out and just do the job and, and get the victory the best you can. Um, I'll, I'll fall back on Boston. We have uh, Brad Marchant. I mean, you know, there's no bigger pest and rat in the league than him. And he gets under people's skin. 
and and it does take an, a lot of effort for other players, opposing players, not to go after him. Um, you know, most guys might give him a chop on the back of the leg or a, or a cross check from behind. Right. But they really do restrain themselves from dropping the gloves and just kicking his ass because they know they're going to get a penalty, number one, probably the extra. And number two, he's probably not going to fight back anyway. He's going to turtle. So he's done his job. He's, he's, he's irritated you. He's got you off your game. He's got you to drop your gloves and go after him. You got the penalty. He's going back to the bench while you go to the box. So it's a tough call. Right. Man, I remember those that 2011 and it was Alexander Burroughs and Marshawn on opposite ends of the ice against each other, just stirring the pot for both teams. Those were crazy times. Right. Right. And I've got another one there, uh, Dougie. When you first came into playing hockey, how did it feel just coming in and getting a championship with the, with the Thunderbirds? Yeah, my first year I got in, um, I went to the Thunderbirds in the East Coast Hockey League, and uh, I went to their training camp, had a couple of fights. I, I didn't do bad, but the coach had said to me that, uh, you know, your, your skating is really obviously weak. You need to work on your skating, and, I, you know, I'm sorry, I got to let you go. And, um, and and the same coach called me back about a month or so later and said, hey, listen, you know, thought I had a couple of tough guys here. They, they just didn't pan out. I got to let them go. They're not, they're not doing their job. If I brought you back, would you be willing to do the job? And I said, of course I would. So I got back down there and, uh, and we did, we won the, uh, we won the championship. And that season was back in 1988, 89. Um, I got a nice championship ring and, um, and an incredible memory for the rest of my life. My, my rookie season, we won a championship. Can you kind of like, uh, you know, just, maybe explain how how much that first year really helped you with your own development and kind of just uh give us the lowdown being able to be there and in the moment and like yeah just how did that help you with your development as like a hockey player and you know somebody with a let's say new lease on a career well i mean my first season was a make or break for me you know i had just been on a a pond in my hometown just a couple of years earlier skating around with my buddies on a lake and so for me to go both feet in to professional hockey um and i'm fighting guys that have played in the american league i'm fighting guys that are draft picks i'm fighting guys that are established heavyweights and like i said i've got no fighting background in hockey and so that first year for me was huge um even my losses that I had, it was still something that I learned from. And um, I'm lucky that, again, the coach that brought me in and the team uh, owner, they believed in me. And, you know, I would always say the same thing to them. And I would use a boxing analogy. And I would say, you know, I might have lost tonight, but that was round one. And I'm going to see that same team and that same guy next weekend. And I'm going to challenge him again. So I was always willing to fight. I was always willing to get round two, get round three. It wasn't just one fight and then, you know, okay, I'm all set. I wanted to fight literally every single shift that I got on the ice because that's what I was there for. And I was trying to make a name for myself. Wow. That outlook is so huge too, especially for, you know, guys that are trying to, you know, scrap and, and claw their way into playing hockey. That's that's the perfect mindset, I think, for any young hockey player, I would I would say. Well, like I said, it didn't matter if I lost fights. It was just the point that I was doing my job and doing what they brought me in for. And I think um, most guys will tell you that, you know, if you're still willing to do it, even after getting your ass kicked, what team wouldn't say no to you? Because a lot of guys start walking away and saying, I don't want to do this for a career. I don't want to do this for a living. And they leave or they quit or they just shy away. I think that was one of my strong attributes. It was I never said no to the next round. Kind of takes a special person to do that too, to do your night, that job night in and night out without even second guessing yourself, basically. Well, and again, the fallback on boxing, I mean, I had a fighting background, you know, and I was used to fighting and I was used to, you know, getting punched and, you know, it's just, I had something that a lot of guys didn't have. You have to remember, obviously, 
everyone that I played against, everyone that I fought against, they grew up being a hockey player. And then they may have turned to fighting because they realized it might be a way out or a backdoor into the next league, the next level higher. So they were a hockey player first. They learned how to fight later. Well, I already knew how to fight. I wasn't afraid to fight. I wasn't afraid to get punched. I wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe and exchange with guys. My fear was balance, losing my balance, getting thrown down on the ice and looking like a, you know, like a joke. So I had the fighting aspect confidentially in my head like I was okay with that. It was other things that bothered me personally. And that's just such a unique part about hockey itself. It, it kind of gives you almost like the right to go out there and kind of be the biggest asshole you can be. And, and other sports, <laughs> it's, really, it's, it's really not like that, you know? Like, there's just football where, you know, under the piles, they might break fingers and stuff like that. But, you know, me playing the game for a while, at least into the Division two level of college hockey, you know, you know, I hear of, you know, the unwritten rules in fighting where – once you go to the ground, you know, that's usually where it stops or you ask each other if, you know, do you want to fight? You know, sometimes right. it's just like, okay, yeah, we're going to go with each other. Um, or it's, do you want to take our helmets off? So just kind of tell us about, you know, what it's like just kind of, you know, instigating a fight and kind of the unwritten rules of fighting in hockey, if there are any. Well, there's definitely um, a code, so to speak. And... Um... And although my book that was written and the movie that was based off the book is titled Goon, I certainly wasn't a goon. Um, I adhered to all the rules and regulations that you, unwritten, so to speak, that you do with hockey and hockey fighting. Um, I never cheap-shotted guys. I never used my stick. You'd line up next to the other team's tough guy. And listen, you both have egos. You're both there for the same reason. Everyone knows why you're there. Let's make it happen. Let's get the fans involved. Let's try and spur your team on. Um, maybe you're down by a couple of goals. You need some life on the bench. There's a whole host of reasons why you want to get something going. So dropping the gloves and fighting, probably the most exciting thing fans can can watch and get their home team, at least, into the game. And, of course, if you're the visiting team and you just kick the ass of the home player, well, now your team feels good too. So it goes both ways. That's awesome. That's always been the biggest thing too, is really swaying momentum. And come on, I think all of us can absolutely agree is, you know, once these two drop the gloves, you know, you're on, you're on your feet and you're yelling. You're, you just want to be in that moment forever. So it's, it is a sway of momentum. And um, I mean, one of the very finest parts of uh, the game of hockey to me, at least. Right. And, and I found quickly down in the East Coast League, you know, you're down in the southern states of the United States and, you know, they're all rednecks. They're all hillbillies. And although they would love to see their team win the game, they don't care. They want to see fights. They want to see blood. And so I can assure you that a guy like me or the other heavyweight on the other team, they're the fans choice. They don't care about the guy who scores 50 goals. Who cares? But they'll love me because I'm going to give them the entertainment that they actually want to watch. No doubt. <laughs> That's excellent. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the book and uh, the two movies that came with it. Uh, yeah, what what really made you and Adam decide to uh, write this book? Well, again, I have to give credit to Adam. Um, it was really his idea because, you know, he was my backbone from day one. And so when I took off to go play, say, my first year in the East Coast League, I would call Adam every night and I would uh, keep notes of games that I played in and the fights that I had and who I fought and how it went. And, you know, after a year or so, Adam says, you know, we really should write a book. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting to, you know, know what it's like to be a minor league hockey player between the lifestyle and bus rides and the shitty food and the money and, you know, just the way they live trying to chase their dream. And so Adam and I, um, you know, a few years after I basically retired and stopped playing, you know, we kind of sat down and just, you know, in a chronological order, put it in from how we started on the pond in my neighborhood and learning to skate. And then a couple, two or three years later, getting into my first official league and uh, get my tryouts and, and all the way to the very end. And, um, Adam labored over that book for a couple of years. And then when he finished it, he 
decided just to simply reach out and contact every publishing company he could find from Canada to the United States. And whichever ones responded to him, he would just send them, you know, two or three chapters so that they could review it. And we finally heard from a publishing company called Publish America. And they said they were going to take it. They're going to run with it. They'll print it. And, um, you know, we, we took off from there. When you first started playing, do you ever think you'd actually have a movie made after you? I mean, that's got to be just unprecedented and really flattering. Well, I mean, having the book published was mind-blowing as it was. I mean, who would have ever thought? And I never really realized the accomplishment that I actually made in hockey, you know, coming from basically nowhere and making it to the American Hockey League, which is the second best hockey league in the world. And was an incredible accomplishment, like I said. But the movie, whenever we were notified by a... uh, a Hollywood writer who writes for a team of directors and producers that he had read my book on an airplane one day and they are considering making a movie about hockey and forces and they'd like to use our book as the backbone of it. And we were like, you got to be kidding me. We couldn't believe it. So yeah, to answer your question, totally mind blowing. And, uh, what was cool is that Jay Baruchel actually, you know, wrote and directed the movie. He, uh, it seemed like seeing interviews with him, he, uh, he included you guys a lot in the entire production. Can you just like speak to Jay and how you got to help out with the movie? I mean, all those guys were incredible. I mean, Jay Baruchel, you know, I mean, I, I've never met him up until that movie, of course, because I have nothing to do with Hollywood. But uh, he was a huge hockey fan, loves Canadian teams. And um, we started out basically as consultants, as he would ask me, you know, tell me about bus rides. Like, what would you do on a bus? Is it like Slapshot, the movie Slapshot? Are you playing cards? Are you drinking beers? You know, you're, you're pulling off the highway at certain times of the night and going to a strip joint. I mean, what's it all about? Or, you know, when you're on the bench, and you're, uh, you know, are you chirping to a guy? You're giving him a mouthful, you know, and all kinds of different little things. How do you start a fight? What would you say to a guy? So we definitely got to do some consultation on the first one. And then whenever they said they were going to make a sequel and they were going to have a second movie, and he invited me up to the second one and actually wrote me into the script. So I had a small little cameo, which was, again, just an unbelievable dream come true. Yeah, you uh, get uh, headbutted by uh, Sean William Scott <laughs> in, the, uh, in the second one, yeah. <laughs> That's an awful way to go, too. And I used to give them so much shit. I used to say to the directors and the producers, I'm like, y- you know, listen, you can't take me out that way. Like, you got to let me go toe-to-toe with a guy. Like, throw a few punches. I said, this is awful. And I used to r- razz them all the time. But they were great guys about it. We all had a lot of fun on that set. It was really an incredible experience. Sean William Scott is an unbelievable guy. Uh, Leave Shriver, who plays Ross the Boss, another unbelievable yeah. guy. Um, Tim Coates, who plays the coach, super awesome guy. I mean, you just they're all class A Hollywood actors. They're incredible people. And um, a lot of fun. Um, endless takes on scenes, like just 20, 30, 40 times you had to do it over because someone would screw it up or you'd be laughing or, you know, Someone would fall down while they were skating. Now, those guys weren't real hockey players. I can assure you that. Sean William Scott, the way you see him skate is pretty much the way he really skates. He isn't a real hockey player. Uh, It's unbelievable. Whenever I saw him for the very first time skating out onto the ice, like, you know, before we started to shoot a scene, and I was watching him, like, kind of skate around, and he literally was like the way he is in the movie. I was like, oh, my God. I I couldn't believe it. Like, this guy's kind of not acting. Like, this is legit. Um, but what great incredible actors like i said they all were and they made my time up there just so memorable that's awesome that's a segue to my next question because i kind of want to know what was like really true about the movie and what really wasn't so if you're saying that sean acted like that in real life my question is were you really that polite like if someone asked you do you want to go did you really say yeah thanks for asking (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know what? Maybe it's just my personality. I mean, I've kind of got one of those 
personality is that I'm outgoing. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of a friendly guy. But it wasn't that I had to be a tough guy. Like, I didn't have to act tough. I know comparing myself to other guys, and believe me, I'm certainly not saying that, like, I'm a model and I'm pretty looking. But I certainly wasn't rough and tough looking like a lot of these guys I was going up against. But I always had it up here that I got the fighting background. And I'm not worried about anybody when it comes to fighting. And I just really wasn't. Tons of confidence in my ability. And um, so for me, you know, again, it, it was just one of those things. I don't know how to explain it to you without sounding like a complete fool. But Sean William Scott, he played the role incredibly. Um, I've said it before. You know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the draw, but they certainly made him be a complete idiot. And did I enjoy seeing that when I first saw the movie? I was like, oh, my God. But, I mean, I get it. The movie wasn't the Doug Smith story. They just used some things out of the book just to get it rolling. Um, you know, to answer your question, you know, I didn't wear white figure skates to training camp. Uh, you know, I'm not Jewish. I don't even have a brother who's gay. You know, I don't like corn dogs. There's all kinds of funny stuff. And, you know, like I've said before, I understand they had to put that in there to make it sell. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Adam wasn't, you know, screaming from the uh, stands, wear number 69, it's a But, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> I understand. It's But it's, it, you know, to be completely honest with you, um, if, if I'm going to be, yeah, um, I found that Goon was probably one of the most heartwarming kind of, like, almost – almost most accurate hockey movie out there in a sense, just, I mean, like highlighting just the hockey life, you know? And I thought it's really cool that Jay really sought you out to really kind of bring that home. Well, you know, the script, when I first read the script and I, and I know they were trying to give it like a twist that was, you know, for an example, I'll, I'll use the twist that they actually used. I mean, here you've got a Jewish kid who comes from a very high-profile family, well off. You know, one his brother's a doctor or a dentist or something, and the father's very, you know, established in the community. And then you got a glad, right? Who's like half an idiot, and he's going to be a hockey goon. He's not going to follow in the footsteps of his family, and he was going to be the black sheep of the family. And they were embarrassed by that. And so all these little twists that you know they put into the movie. It kind of all meshed at the end. It really did, and and it made for an incredible movie. And I mean, I'm just uh, like, I mean, I wasn't aware of honestly your story until I got to watch the movie, and I was like, oh my god, this 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 is based on, like sort of based off of some guy, and then you know just like uh, going on YouTube and seeing your fights and stuff, and like seeing the real hammer, like you know, go down. It's just. I mean, it's it's an awesome way to find out about you know like about you like you you are a hockey folk hero basically <laughs> after after you know the book and the and the movies and I think it's it's great uh, to be able to shine a light on these kind of like you know stories that probably wouldn't have, would have never been told otherwise. Well, I uh, I certainly don't categorize myself as a high level guy, like say the Hanson brothers <laughs> and their notoriety. <laughs> but I mean, believe me, what little what little fame I have, believe me, I'll take it, and I appreciate it. Well, and Doug, I've got a question for you. After both of the movies have come out, and just seeing all that played out on the silver screen, how surreal was it? Just seeing some of your life's moments up on the big screen you know th there was nothing more surreal than um the night that my wife and i we got invited to come up to the toronto international film festival where we were going to be with the entire cast and we were going to see the movie for the very first time the first release and it wasn't to the public it was just to the film festival people that you know had access to it and just to sit there and watch it and just absorb it and, and realize that, you know, it's not my movie, but it's kind of based off of me, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, yeah, surreal, just mind-blowing. It really was incredible. And then, um, you know, after the movie was over, the cast, they got called up onto the stage and they were all introduced. And then they actually called me out 
from the audience to bring me up on stage with all the actors. And I mean, I think that was the pinnacle where I'm standing there with these couple of dozen Hollywood actors and we're celebrating like my movie. So it was just like it never happened. It seemed like a dream. You know, it was really crazy. So I have another question for you. You know, I just kind of want to hear a good story from you about, you know, your actual, your, in your career. Like, what's your favorite fight? Maybe talk about, you know, your least favorite one. What do you say to start a fight? And, you know, all those little things, you know, talk about some of the great shit talking moments you've had out there. You know, I have to always say that my, my favorite fight was a loss, but it didn't matter. And that was my first game I played in the American Hockey League. And I got called up out of out of the blue, like it was really unexpected. I actually hadn't played hockey in about a year. And um, a, a friend of mine who's a scout for the Winnipeg Jets had called me up and said, hey, listen, they're going to need a tough guy this weekend. Would you go up? Would you, you know, if they flew you up, would you play? And, and here are the three or four guys that you're going to go against. You know, would you fight these guys? And believe me, for a second, I was like hesitant. I was like, wow, I haven't been on the ice in like a year. And I certainly haven't had any fights in about a year, but there was no chance I was giving up this opportunity. And, um, you know, I arrived to the team the day before and I got to meet all the players and I got to meet guys like Kevin McClellan, who had won two or three Stanley Cups with Edmonton. You know, he was one of Wayne oh, Gretzky's yeah. bodyguards, along with Dave Semenko <laughs> and Marty McSorley and Don Jackson. And, you know, Kevin McClellan was as big as they came. And uh, he was out. He was the reason ah. I was playing. He was he was injured. And he took me under his wing that whole day, the whole night, into the next morning pre-skate, and just tried to give me an education. He was so incredible. I'll never forget him. And he knows it. He knows I love him. And gave me his gloves to wear. Gave me his, I wore his pants. Um, you know, just stupid stuff. Locker room stuff. But just <laughs> kept encouraging me, this is, you know, why you're here. And, um, you know always built me up just patted me on the back constantly telling me you know you're here for a reason you can do the job and i remember getting my very first shift it was the actual second shift of the game and i remember lining up next to ryan vandenbush now ryan vandenbush at the time was only a rookie and uh, obviously we all know he went on to have an unbelievable nhl career as one of like just a super tough guy right not a super oh, yeah. heavyweight physically but would fight all the super heavyweights and do really well. Like he was a killer. And, oh, yeah. um, and I remember lining up next to him and I challenged him to go. And of course he didn't know who I was. So he told me to go screw. And, uh, and I totally understood no problem. And I had a little quick shift and I came back to the bench and a couple of shifts later, I got back out again and I lined up next to Frank Bialois, who was at the time the champion of the league. He was the heavyweight champ of the league. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I remember McClellan telling me earlier, you can fight this guy and you can fight that guy, but don't fight by a Lois. Stay away from him. He's the toughest <laughs> guy in the league, hands down. <laughs> but I didn't get my first fight. So I had to get I had to get the next fight. And he was who I lined up next to. And I remember saying to him in, on the face-off circle, we kind of lined up and he was looking at me. And now he already knows I challenged Vandenbush earlier. So I line up next to him and I said, I go, hey, you know, you're going to give me a shot. And all he said to me, he goes, OK, buddy, I'll give you a shot. Just keep it clean. And I knew what that meant. There's part of that code that we talked about earlier. Keep it clean. You know, pull my hair. Don't gouge my eyes. Don't bite me. Nothing crazy. Just let's just do it right. And we did. And uh, and for anyone that's ever seen the fight, I mean, I got murdered. <laughs> and rightfully <laughs> so. I mean, he was he was a legitimate NHL fighter. and. Uh, in fact, it was only like 10 minutes after that fight where I had a photo taken of my face. Huge black eye, five or six stitches, and it made the cover of the book Goon later on, yeah. years, years, years later. And so uh, so my favorite fight, win or lose, it has to be by a Lois. And I've said it before, I'll thank him till the day I die giving me the opportunity because mm -hmm. he could have told me to screw like some of the other guys did because they didn't know who I was. And um, so I owe him for that, you know? That's awesome. That's a great story. Is it? 
is it always that way too where it's the the younger guy who needs to ask the permission well i i wasn't the type of guy that was able to skate as well as them get around the rank body check guys rough guys up where a guy like Brandon bush or by lois would have to come over to me and say hey knock it off or else I couldn't do that. I had to get a fight right off the face off on the stoppage of a play or I was useless. And I totally, I realized that I, I knew what I was capable of doing as far as the play goes. I certainly was an American league skater by a long shot. So I had to get my fights off the face offs. And, and again, by a Lois, he gave it to me, you know, it, literally. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And, 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 What's re- what really makes me uh, so stoked to hear is that how McClellan really did take you under his wing. That's just awesome. Yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, you know, just to meet that guy and knowing who he was already and his, you know, he, I mean, he's a dynasty player. And um, you know, I got pictures with him, and you know, he gave me the gloves that I wore when I left the next day, and he autographed them for me. And, um, I mean, how I could never forget that, like ever forget that stuff, you know, that's awesome. And I mean, right. That's what, uh, I think is such a great part of your story too, is to show that like he might have had, uh, hard hands, but a soft heart kind of situation there, you know? Oh, for sure. And, 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 and listen, and in all reality, I mean, I was no threat to his position on that team. Hey, even if I fought five guys that night and knocked every one of them out cold and they were taken off in stretches, I wasn't taking his job. I was going home the next night. I was just there for one night. And I, I totally, I, I get that, but so didn't he. So he made me feel as welcome as could be because, again, I was no threat to him, but he was trying to boost me up enough to say, hey, listen, you got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity here. Like, I've seen your resume. You've never been here. Mm. Make the most of it. Mm. So, like I said, I'll never forget a guy like Kevin McClellan, ever. And from that story and um, those lessons, is is there any part of your life right now in the game of hockey that you're involved in where you're trying to, you know, propel those moments and messages forward? You know what? I try to get on the ice a lot with younger kids, you know, grade school, high school level guys. And when I talk to kids, I don't talk to them about the fighting aspect, but I tell them the accomplishment that I made in a short time and how it can happen. You can chase your dreams and you can achieve your dreams. It just takes a lot of hard work and you got to really want it. Of course, I really wanted it. And I had a work ethic that was second to none. I mean, every day I was working out, I was on the ice. I was specifically working on fighting when I was on the ice. Um, of course, I needed some good fortune. I needed some politics. I needed people to open a few doors, which I lucked out. But my point to the kids is this. You're way ahead of me as it is. You're in eighth, ninth, tenth grade, and you're skating like the wind. You have a lot more than I had at that age. So if I can do it, why can't you? And so I, I try to be a positive role model because I feel it's a necessity to, to encourage kids that, listen, if I can do it, again, the door is open for everybody. And I've got another question there, Doug. Awesome. Besides fighting Bayer Lois, what was probably your toughest opponent that you ever fought in your years of playing? Listen, I had a lot of fights against a lot of tough minor league guys. Some of them made it to the NHL. Uh, some of them stayed in the American League or the East Coast League. I can't shortchange any of them. And I know it's an awful answer. I know you want names. But honestly, yeah. from, from where I came from, the guys, all of them that I fought, they were all hard. They really were. Even the ones that I had victories over, and I've had a couple of victories that were literally one punches, and I've, I've steamrolled guys. But even that guy was a tough fight because you have to remember that even the night before the fight physically happens, you're mentally playing it in your head and you're gearing up for it. So there's a lot of pre-preparation before the puck even drops. 
So they were all tough. Believe me, they were all tough. Well, yeah, it's kind of just like what you said before: is that this is you know, this is your job. This is this is how you're helping the team. So you, uh, it, I can see why you could say that. I mean, uh, it is you ought need to be in the zone the entire time, even right. when you're playing that particular aspect of the game. I also love how they don't call you after being off the ice for a year if they don't know already that you're probably the kind of guy that's keeping in shape and you're setting a reputation of yourself that way. And I like that lesson that you're passing forward too of how, you know, just be ready. You never know when your shot or your opportunity is going to come, but when it comes, be ready for it. Right. And I, and I think reflecting back on what we talked about earlier, the book, the movie, the titles of both of them goon. I wasn't a goon. I was a great employee. I wasn't an asshole on the ice. When the fight was over, I went to the box. I wasn't a problem to the linesman or the referee. I wasn't a guy that got suspended all the time. I wasn't a guy that cost a team money because I was, you know, going crazy on the ice like sometimes you'll see people do. So my reputation was a good one. It was one of that he's going to show up, he's going to do his job, he's going to sit in the box, and then that's it. There's no BS. And I think yeah. teams felt there were a lot of tough guys that I played against, and a lot of tough guys that I fought against that maybe played for five, six, seven teams. And like, wow, that guy really jumps around. He jumps around because he's a pain in the ass. He might be a problem in the locker room. He might be vocal. He might be might just be like a cancer. He thinks he's better than he is. And I never wanted to be an issue or a problem to a team. And I think that carried around for me where my reputation preceded me where teams might say you know what i know he's a terrible skater but i just need a fighter he's clean he's going to do the job he's not going to cost me a fortune let's give him a shot sometimes that worked in my favor yeah i mean uh, we actually just had a conversation about you know how detrimental you know these kind of like these guys who you're talking about that are just assholes in the locker room and on the ice can be just to a team and i mean and well you know when you're when you're out there you know basically uh you know throwing ducks and uh standing up for your team that that really uh beats the heartbeat of the team a lot of the time so when you got a guy that's out there just uh chucking knuckles to be a dick i mean that's that's not much of a heart, you know, but uh, but you got a guy like you that's that shows up every day, big smile on your face, huge work ethic, and just there for the team. That makes I think that makes a whole a whole hell of a lot of a difference. Yeah, and, and like I said before, I think I realized me personally, I realized my ability to a hockey team as far as being a hockey player. I was content sitting on the bench. I was content waiting for my one or two shifts a game. I wasn't whining and crying to the coach, put me out, or I should be on the second line, or I should be on the power play. Trust me, there's a lot of players that are like that. They're always complaining to the management that they want more ice time or they're demanding. That wasn't me. That wasn't my position. Trust me, I was grateful for the one shift I would get. In some games, I never even got one shift because the other team didn't have someone acting up. It was a nice, peaceful game. So a coach doesn't want to listen to me no more than he wants to listen to somebody else. So I kind of learned that early on. Shut your mouth. Listen to, listen to Doug, kids. Shut your mouth and work hard. <laughs> That's it. Right. it works. Don't, be, don't be like Sean Avery. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, Doug, I got to say um, – Oh, I think I think I uh, speak for all the boys that we had such a fun time talking to you today, and we appreciate it so much. Uh, you, uh, before we head out here, do you uh, want to send any shout outs to anybody real quick, or uh, you know, just some thank yous or anything like that? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm going to thank you guys. I appreciate the opportunity. It was great to meet you guys. Um, I love talking hockey. I certainly love talking hockey fighting. And, um, you know, again, I appreciate the opportunity tonight with you. We really appreciate it. Uh, we had so much fun. Uh, so before you, uh, we let you go, I'm going to let the boys say their thank yous. And uh, I think we've, uh, we can wrap it up. Bryce, you want to well, go first? 
Yeah, sure. Um, of course, big shout outs to our, you know, our listeners, our sponsors, Myber Nation, Dog Nation. But I was hey, big thanks to Doug for hopping on with us tonight. That was awesome. You know, it just goes to show that uh, hockey players, you know, we have rough outsides or rough on the edges, tough persona, but we're all great people. So thanks, Doug. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Doug once again for coming on. Uh, you boys for yeah doing this episode and yeah all of our listeners and everything. Yeah, thanks, Doug. I had a great time chatting with you. Uh, you're a real fun person to talk to, and we loved hearing your stories, and we know our listeners will as well. And really appreciate you donating your time today uh, to be with us and to share your love for the game with everyone. So thank you to all those um, guys and to you uh, for that. And um, to all of our sponsors. So thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah, so thank thanks, you. Doug. Uh, let's go enjoy that uh, Boston game, eh? <laughs> right. All right, man. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk soon, huh? Okay, boys. Thanks again. Yeah, cheers, man. See ya. Okay. See ya. See you later. Bye, right, boys. Oh, and so without further ado, uh, thank you to all the, our listeners. Check us out on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Overcast, Castbox, uh, Podbean, um, Breaker, and now on Verbal. So check us out there, or check us out on YouTube. So uh, until then, V Horsh, Avidasen, uh, Salute, Aviento. Try the damn thing, see what happens.